And of course, Zazen is one of the uh, a good practice for creating the conditions for samadhi to arise. Does that then mean uh, coming together as a group, or does it mean the practice of meditation? Uh, it simply means uh, it's a, a Japanese word for just sitting, um, the oh, same yeah. meditation. Yeah. So it's what we do at home and what we do in the group? Zazen, yeah. 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 Okay. Normally taken as being sitting meditation, but like um, take your zazen into into the walk and into everyday life as well. So don't just identify it with sitting meditation. Hmm. So, um, you know, make Zazen your north star kind of thing, the star which guides you. Because it's it's the central practice of Zen. Everything else flows from there. So today I'm going to um, basically um, talk a little bit about um, like West, the Western and, and also the Zen version of the spiritual journey. And like I was saying earlier on, we're all on our spiritual journey. And uh, it's it, it's it's good to. Um, familiarize ourselves with various stories and narratives which support our journey, which empower us in that way. And um, the metaphors that are used in spiritual practice and and the myths that arise from different traditions can all be uh, skillful means to um, guide us on, on our way. So, um, as I mentioned last week, there was a a mythologist called Joseph Campbell who died a few years ago, who wrote extensively on mythology. And in particular, he did this study of myths from around the globe and from different historical periods. And he talked about a monomyth, in other words, the basic myth that ran through all these different cultures. And uh, he called it the hero with a thousand faces. And so each particular culture would have a different face, but the, the particular journey that was described was very similar. The journey that we all go on. And um, some of the famous literature uh, in the West would be um, like Homer, the Odyssey, for example. Um, more contemporary times, um, even a book like Moby Dick by Melville. Um, there was a, an author, I can't remember his name, who has written a book on Moby Dick from a Zen perspective. Mm-hmm. And of course in the West we also had the Grail myth, which was um, always been quite influential in my life, particularly in my younger years and adolescent years, but it's a myth I'm quite fond of as well, the Holy Grail and the Round Table. And, um, 
And um, so the hero's journey is, is a spiritual journey. And um, as uh, Norman Fisher, <coughs> is a, who's a, a teacher in the uh, Shunri Suzuki line, um, wrote a book called Sailing Home, which is his use of Homer's Odyssey to um, um, talk about Zen practice. And Norman Fisher uh, describes the spiritual journey as simply, we begin at home, uh, we leave home, we return home. And, uh, and that's uh, in Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey, uh, that's the basic structure um, of the journey. It's a there and back again. And it gets repeated, and, and you'll see it in lots of different films, even romantic comedies have this structure, and uh, as well as uh, romance and fantasy novels, like Lord of the Rings. Um, just, just hang this down. That's uh, one of Joseph Campbell's well-known quotes. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he, I can't remember when he died, but the 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 TV um, there's a six-part TV series called The Power of Myth, where he was interviewed by a well-known journalist, Moyes, and. Uh, that would have been done in the, I don't know whether it was the early 80s or something like that. Um, and uh, when, you know, the idea is if you follow your bliss, um, um, the universe will move with you, it will support you because you're following your bliss. Yeah. But there'll be sometimes there'll be obstacles in the path and that's part of the path. No, 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 no obstacles, no suffering, no suffering, no, no realization, um, and um, and you, you, so this this notion of um, leaving home and returning home is you'll find it like for example, there's a very famous T. S. Eliot quote, which will, you would you would have all heard. 
<coughs> we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. You've heard that one before? <coughs> So in the um, in the Western traditions, and, um, the hero's journey is often um, described as some kind of quest. Mm. But in the uh, in the Zen tradition, there's a famous um, set of pictures um, called the ox herding pictures. Um, the ten ox herding pictures with commentary and verses. Um, the original drawings and commentaries um, were attributed to a 12th century Zen master. And um, so it's called Seeking the, Seeking the Ox. Um, probably because even though the buffalo was quite a, a common well-known animal in those days, it was also a sacred nature of the ox in ancient India that the animal came to symbolize you know, Buddha nature and Buddha mind. Mm. Mm. And um, we also have in the triangle I've given you this, so there's the notion of the movement from the ordinary mind, the place where we start, uh, through to the experience of big mind, and uh, then up to the integration of the experience of big mind in creating the true self, which then returns home to ordinary mind again. Uh, you can even imagine it as the triangle that's on the, on the altar, so the sense in which we start in the flowers and bushes, or the grasses, or they get removed. Sometimes grasses are used as a symbol of delusion and getting caught in thoughts and Zen stories. And the bell candle symbolizes the big mind, the light within, which we all are, which shines through always, but we, we don't see it or we get disconnected from it because of getting caught in our various delusionary parts. And the Buddha figure being the, the human being that's able to integrate those two aspects. Mm. Sometimes we come across um, yeah, there's an old Zen saying about, um, I do had it in here, but um, I know it's in the, I know the, uh, the old uh, folk song by Donovan, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is, if you have, remember that one? That, that's a reference to a slightly more, um, well, basically, first you have mountains and valleys kind of thing, and then you, then, then you don't, and then you do again. Uh, that's that sense, again, that sense of um, the self and then no self, and then integrating the two. So, in terms of the um, um, 
the hero's journey idea. We start off with the uh, what uh, can be called Act One, the separation from the old self. Um, so we start off in the ordinary world, and and often the hero is often characterised as a kind of outsider. Uh, so um, if you think of the uh, Lord of the Rings, of Bilbo Baggins, who's, who read Lord of the Rings or saw the movies? Or this? No. Julie, you haven't read Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's a character in that called Bilbo, and uh, he's a he's a hobbit, and um, he's a bit of an exceptional hobbit, and then he has some peculiar, you know, he goes wandering and things like that. And so he's, he's seen as a little bit, a little bit of an outsider. Um, uh, but at a, at a certain point in the story, there's a call to adventure, yeah. and. Uh, if you were, if you were um, putting that into uh, yeah, the spiritual context, then at a, at a certain point in our lives, and often during adolescence, or maybe after, or even sometimes during early childhood, um, there's some kind of loss or trauma, um, or it could be crisis of meaning, or the, real, like, the feeling that something's missing or lacking, and that, that sort of you know, perennial question, who am I, pops up. And, um, and, um, and at, so at that particular kind of what uh, an important um, uh, metaphor in Zen is what's called the way-seeking mind. So the way-seeking mind, if you like, is that which is aspires, that's, that's the big mind aspiring to wake up, wake us up. And we get little you know, notions of it or little communications from it that we may we may hear or we may see or we may not. Um, but at some point in, our life, in your life, the way seeking mind has been activated. So in, in a sense, the, uh, if you're looking at the diagram, the, it's important to distinguish the way seeking mind from the seeking mind. Um, the seeking mind is often the mind that looks outwards, like, like tries to deal with the requirements of life or the, the, the the adventure of life through establishing a career, establishing a relationship, buying a house, all those kinds of externals. And um, the, the, uh, the, the, the way-seeking mind is more about the, that aspiration to, for, for that spiritual journey. So if you're looking at the triangle, um, the way-seeking, where would the way-seeking mind be on the triangle, do you think? Not quite in the no-self, it is the no-self wanting to, but it's calling us, so it's kind of like, kind of like halfway in between, so it's not quite in the, in the self, but it's moving towards the no-self, so it's, uh, we're seeking the no-self, we're seeking the way. <clears throat> and um, of course when we, uh, we hear the call, we start to seek the way, but as, as you would know from your own experiences of life, we may try different paths because uh, we're looking for a path, we're searching for the, a path and uh, but sometimes those paths don't we, don't, we don't commit to a path or we don't find a path or, um, and this might go on for many years and sometimes we might forget all about the call that we heard in our adolescence, we might get lost in, in the necessities and requirements of life um, 
we get caught back in seeking mind, you know, and seeking security is often one of the things that seeking mind seeks. And of course, that um, there are things that happen either on a personal level, or sometimes even dramatic cultural social moments like 9-11, which, which shatter the notion that we can ever be secure. And so, uh, if we're lucky, the way-seeking way mind manifests again. And, um, and that takes us to the next stage of the journey, which in the hero's myth is, is, is referred to as um, meeting the mentor. That could be an external or an internal teacher. But it's certainly the, the, the way-seeking mind is definitely more established in our consciousness. And that's the equivalent of the ox... Um, in the ox herding pictures in the Zen story, uh, that's equivalent to the first picture, whereas there's a kind of uh, a person on his own in the forest seeking the ox. And uh, I'll just give you a quote from the first picture. So the ox has never really gone astray, so why search for it? Having turned his or her back on true nature, the person cannot see it. Because of defilements, they have lost sight of the ox. Suddenly, they find themselves confronted by a maze of crisscrossing roads. Greed for worldly gain and dread of loss spring up like searing flames. Ideas of right and wrong dart out like daggers. And then there's a verse which goes with it, which is quite nice. Desolate through forests and fearful in jungles, he, he or she is seeking an ox which they do not find. Up and down dark, nameless, wide-flowing rivers, in deep mountain thickets, he or she treads many bypaths. Bone-tired, heart-weary, she carries on her search. I'm just going to use the female, I'm sick of trying to translate it, but it's always in the male, in the same tradition, so I'll use the female. She carries on her search for this something which she cannot yet find. At evening she hears cicadas chirping in the trees. At evening she hears cicadas chirping in the trees. Do you also hear cicadas chirping in the trees sometimes? At that's, the, that's the way seeking mind, you're hearing it. That's the, the ox is calling you. So we have awareness of the way seeking mind. The way-seeking mind, this is a quote from Shunryu Suzuki, is most important when you have some difficulty in your everyday life. There you will have chance to arise, way-seeking mind. So way-seeking mind doesn't arise without difficulties. Once you arise the way-seeking mind, your practice is on track. Our way-seeking mind is Buddha mind and our practice is uh, practicing with the Buddha mind or way-seeking mind. Usually when we say the way-seeking mind, the do-shin, do-shin, do is Tao and shin is mind. So it's literally turning towards the Tao, turning towards the way. This is a quote, and this is a quote from Stephen Damon, who's a, a, a teacher in the, um, a priest in the Shunri Suzuki tradition. Way-seeking mind may appear in the earliest stages of our lives, long before we've even heard of Buddhism or Zen. So you would have had inklings of this, you know, probably like Wordsworth's poetry about this when he was a child and those kinds of experiences we had. 
Sometimes it will express itself in unusual dreams or memories that seem too old to be our own. And sometimes it will appear when we look at our life and want something more. Not more things, not more happiness, but something we can't quite put our finger on. Eventually this question formed a kind of physical presence with a gravitational pull that attracted certain kinds of similar influences which nourished it. Or maybe I should say that I began to sense that this question was an expression of a presence already in myself. And it is this that is speaking, my way-seeking mind. And that helps us to find the path, which will eventually lead us back to where we started, from myself. And he goes on to say that many Zen groups use the practice of giving a way-seeking mind talk as a way of helping people look at their lives from the point of view of their search for the Dharma. It's very challenging to reformat your life story in this context, and it is wonderful to hear how others do it. So, um, yeah, so I was thinking that um, next, for the second half of the year, we can focus on way-seeking mind, uh, leading up to, I'm still planning to have a a kind of like two or uh, three day uh, session at the Promised Land. We're talking about late November or something. Or mm. like, um, uh, and uh, we might have to, be, have to be somewhere probably in the early December, but we have to be maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find someone. And um, so uh, and that's going to be also an opportunity uh, for people to take the Jukai ceremony if you want to. Uh, which is the next part of the journey. But like, a way-seeking mind talk, we could um, uh, you know, have a think about it, like I would encourage you to, um, um, we could uh, schedule some way-seeking mind talks over the, over the next second half of the year. And, uh, and, um, uh, and you can either, you know, you can write it, write it out if you want to and just read it. Um, and the uh, maximum of 20 minutes. And, uh, they're really good to do, and uh, so start to have a contemplate about doing that. And uh, how would you feel about doing that? Terrified. <laughs> 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 I don't quite understand what it is. You say like, the way. What you would be saying, or what? Well, how would you say the way seeking mind? Say what you how you're seeking to. Yeah, the way seeking mind is looking back at your life story as to um, what's brought you to this place now. So it's a sense in which um, looking at your looking retrospectively at your spiritual journey yeah. Yeah, and uh, what have been the key influences along the way, what have been some of the obstacles along the way, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So um, eventually we find a path, and that might not be Zen Buddhism, but you find a path with a heart and, uh, and practice begins. Uh, so it could be in some other religious tradition, it could be in, in a, not in a religious tradition at all, but um, to have a path and to be able to share that path with other people, other spiritual friends on the journey is really important, because it's very hard to do this on our own. And uh, so following a bit is really, Finding where you, that, that sense of belonging, that sense of path, which you, you have the, which resonates for you. Um, when I was about 32 or so, 
um, I went along to the Morpeth College in Newcastle. I thought maybe I could do an Alan Watts and be a, a, um, a Christian um, priest and uh, and do meditation. And um, and I enrolled. I enrolled in the training course. And uh, but I just I'd already been exposed to Zen, you know, and um, the. The, the literature of the, of, of the Bible, I mean, all of it contains some beautiful poetry and some parts which are, just didn't resonate as strongly as, as the Zen literature resonated for me. So I just couldn't find a place to fit that. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm, I'm sure we, 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 everyone in this room has, has explored um, various different uh, spiritual callings and different paths. And, yeah. At the moment, you're finding yourself here. There's some, something about Zen which calls you, or Buddhism. I mean, Zen is a part of Buddhism, so obviously Buddhism is a much, much larger field than just Zen. Uh, and so, in the hero's journey, as approximating crossing the threshold, it's, it's, it's really developing some sense of commitment to a path. And in Zen, we we, we, that's kind of like vow, the sense of living by our vow. We're taking up the body's at the vow, the way of the body's at the. And so if you look at it following in bliss, it's kind of like finding out what you're good at, and, um, but then, then, then using what you're good at as a vehicle for, for giving to others, like that realization that our life is not just about us, but it's about others. And, and what we pass on in, in our life is what we, how we give to others. And uh, that's the bodhisattva path. That's the bodhisattva vow. We don't just seek awakening or release from suffering for ourselves because we've already realized that we're not separate from everyone else. So it's impossible just to save one person. We have to save everybody, don't we? So, um, and often, like I said, in various, in Buddhism, including Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, there's this thing called a commitment or Jikai ceremony, where one takes up the, the practice. And, uh, and, and in certain Zen schools, that's when you get a Buddhist name. In this Zen school, you just get given the name you already have. You settle into working with a teacher or teachers, and, um, and you settle into the path. And, uh, so that's equivalent in the in the oxherding pictures. Really, it's about oxherding number two, and uh, in the oxherding pictures, it's like a little picture of the of the wandering person sees these tracks of the ox on the path. So finding the tracks. So through the the sutras and teachings, she discerns the tracks of the ox. Um, she has been informed that just as different shaped golden vessels are all basically of the same gold, so each and everything is a manifestation of the self. But she is unable to distinguish good from evil, truth from falsity. She has not actually entered the gate, but she sees in a tentative way the tracks of the ox. Innumerable footprints has she seen in the forest and along the water's edge. Over yonder does she see the trampled grass. Even the deepest gorges of the topmost mountains can't hide this ox's nose, which reaches right to heaven. I'm very fond of the idea of the ox being the symbol. And uh, 
And the gate, of course, uh, she has not actually entered the gate. You know, the gate is, as in the, we've talked about that before, the, uh, the seemingly barrier between us and Buddha nature, what keeps us feeling separate. And, uh, and so uh, in the, uh, the Western uh, uh, version of the journey, this is the descent and initiation, Act 2, descent and initiation the inner journey and meeting the self. And uh, so there's, as of course, there's going to be often ongoing tests. In fact, the tests and challenges and that in our life are never ending, are they? So it's like, it doesn't matter what, where we find ourselves on the cycle of life, there's always going to be another test, isn't there? <laughs> It'll never be free of those. And uh, there's going to be upsets and disappointments and setbacks of everyday life. And... Uh, so we meet those, but then hopefully, um, after a while, we get a sense of sense of appreciation and gratitude for this kind of practice, because this kind of practice prepares us for those never-ending tests and challenges. And for a lot of us here, that, that, that's uh, soon going to be the aging process, if not already, we're not already embarked upon that journey. And. Um, and, and, then, and then, of course, and right up to the end, in terms of the whole Zen uh, journey, is about understanding life and death. And uh, so the experience of death, that which we first need, is uh, this experience of realizing the true self. You know? uh, so often in the uh, both Western and Zen traditions, you get this notion of dying, dying to the ego self. And... Uh, and along the way, along the journey, there's often allies that we meet. Um, these are allies that support our spiritual journey. It could be fam family members, um, it could be peers from the past, or, or elders or friends who have encouraged us in some way. It's just like you know, this notion of following your bliss that the universe will manifest and help you along the way. It could be people that recognized our talents and encouraged us when we were younger. It could also be inspirational figures from history or contemporary figures such as artists or writers or songwriters that have inspired us. Um, so for me, the, you know, in terms of uh, novelists, uh, when I was young, Herman Hesse was one of my key uh, inspirations. I don't know if anybody have read Herman Hesse at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, in terms of singer-songwriters, well, you all know who my favorite singer-songwriter is. Um, and of course, these allies could also be imaginary beings or inner guides that you might uh, meet them as well. Could be dreams. And of course, uh, in the Western story too, there are enemies that we meet along the way. What I prefer, I prefer to think of that as fears. Uh, I mean, there could be people that we hold uh, anger or resentment towards, so there's some process of forgiveness and letting go of that, which I think is important. But also it's about, um, I guess, facing your fears. And, and those fears are going to be constantly, you know, I guess, um, again, going to be a constant part of our life. So again, courage, which comes from being in self, is not so much not having any fear, but just being able to be with the fear. And not let the fear distort us or distract us from following our bliss, basically. And then in the Western story, we approach the inmost cave, 
So we'd be preparation to face what might be the darkness or the dark night of the soul. In the often in the Western tradition, it's referred to as the dark night of the soul. In in Zen Buddhism, it's often referred to as the great doubt. You know, sometimes you might feel a sense of a bit of barrenness in practice, or uh, and uh, so continuing to practice even though it's a sense in which there's some doubt arising. And uh, that's really good to talk to a teacher about that if you're going through that. And uh, we've also the journey inward, you know, in terms of the various gatekeepers and protectors within ourselves that uh, are concerned about us approaching our more, uh, uh, you know, the great sadness within ourselves or some part of ourselves which may be carrying some kind of burden, some kind of burden of not good enough or shame or the importance of, you know, if we're going to be in self, but then self is all about uh, total acceptance of self, and so we need that journey, that journey of inward self-acceptance. And uh, and uh, and then in the ox herding pictures, we talk about the first glimpse of the ox. Um, so it says, the quote, um, so in the picture, it's a sort of glimpse in an ox back of an ox, the ox's tail behind a tree. <laughs> and uh, If she will but listen intently to everyday sounds, she will come to realization and that instant see the very source. The six senses are no different from this true source. In every activity, the source is manifestly present. It is analogous to the salt in water or the binder in paint. When the inner vision is properly focused, one comes to realize that that which is seen is identical with the true source. And the verse, a nightingale warbles on a twig, the sun shines on undulating willows. There stands the ox. Where could it hide? That splendid head, those stately horns, what artist could portray them? And then finally, of course, as we go through the ordeal and face our fears, we realize ourselves. we get some notion to the question, we get some realization to the question, who am I? And the reward is the realization of the self in the Western myths, and sometimes in Buddhism it's referred to as the jewel within, the kingdom within in the West, the Holy Grail, and in the uh, ox herding pictures it's catching the ox. So today she encountered the ox, which had long been cavorting in the wild fields and actually grafted. For so long a time has it reveled in these surroundings that breaking it of its old habits is not easy. It continues to yearn for sweet-scented grasses. It is still stubborn and unbridled. If she would tame it completely, then she must use her whip. <laughs> she must tightly grasp the rope and not let it go for the ox still has unhealthy tendencies. Now it charges up to the highlands, now it loiters in a mystery ravine. So there are some dangers on the, on the way too. Some dangers of sometimes of uh, realizing the ox too quickly, or um, that that's the end of the act, act two. And that the third act, which we haven't got time to go into today, but it's probably the most important journey, is the journey back home again, which is the journey of integration 
You know, one of the traps of realizing the ox is thinking, well, now I'm enlightened, now I'm a Buddha, now I'm different and special. And we, people can get trapped on that stage of the journey. And if you get trapped on that stage of the journey, you go straight back to go, back, straight back to the, what's it, snakes and that? Straight back to yeah. <laughs> the start again. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'll just stop there.